You're listening to highlights from the Creative Process Interview with DBC Pierre. This podcast is supported by the Jan Machowski Foundation. Vernon Godlin. Well, I wanted to write other things. You know, when I first thought of Vernon, he was a trilogy. Vernon was going to be the first one, which is a very liberal view. And then I wanted to do the opposite of you. Mm-hmm. Actually, the very conservative view where he was messed up and society was as it should be and functioning as it does. And then I want to do a third one where he becomes president and has to reconcile these two really different worldviews that we have. But when I said that to the publisher in the first instance, they said, don't push your luck. So I did something else. My agent got me a two-book deal, when she saw Vernon, so I was going to do something anyway. It's almost tricky to remember what was what was going through my mind. It was right after Vernon was published in 2003, and so by the end of that year, after a, a little hiatus following the attacks on 9-11, the States and Britain had started bombing Iraq. So the year was full of um, war suddenly because I'd been quite interested and a little bit heartened by the fact that America hadn't immediately struck out and just destroyed everyone, but that there was a, a weight and it seemed to me there was a possibility there that Nobody need get destroyed. But then by 2003, of course, as was inevitable, we had gone to war and not directly with the perpetrators of this attack because by definition they were dead or they were individuals. Some, but, but we started destroying whole countries in the more approximate region. So my mind was the kind of the embarrassment of being from my culture, I guess, and the embarrassment of being on the powerful side, or the apparently powerful side, of the equation. And during the course of that time when I was writing Ludmilla, I I had the chance to visit the Russian Caucasus, where there's a hell of a lot of conflict going on, and with Médecins Sans Frontières, who had a psychiatric program on the borders around Armenia and Azerbaijan for this immense population of refugees from that, which was already an old war, really, but but it was still active. They were still throwing uh, shells at each other over the mountain. And a hell of a lot of refugees that came out of that. And so they had an interesting program to try and um, uh, to try and deal with the migrants that, that came out of war, and it was really eye-opening. And I guess that fed into Ludmilla. So if, if we say that Ludmilla was just my embarrassment about just being this freakish, this freakish, arrogant culture that can't really be bothered to 
to go and understand other places as, as I see it, or to just go and have a cup of tea and right. and try and see things from a different perspective. So. You mentioned philosophy, and uh, throughout your novels, there's a very strong conceptual framework. And I'm wondering, do you read much philosophy, sociology, psychology? What are you reading? I read some of it. Mm. It just interests me, and I didn't get an education in it, so I have the freedom and the naivety of the autodidact. You can just pick and choose to study what they feel like on a whim. But it interests me. I've just always been interested to watch people because it's clear, even from childhood, it's very clear that things are not what they seem. And that fascinated me. And I've used and abused that myself growing up. So, but it's very interesting to do so. I, you know, I've read some. I'm not a I'm not a big, big student of anything, but I do fill in gaps where I'm interested in something and at least get a sense of what others have thought about a certain thing. Right now we're in a very interesting period. There's a big, big explosion of really compelling and obvious neuropsychology and a lot of experiments happening and some of our automatic brain processes which are, on the one hand get taken advantage of by the market but on the other were, were developed to kind of streamline the way we worked and um, they're making all sorts of really interesting discoveries now so are you I writing? think this will be the century of psychology Are you writing about that now? Is that your current novel? Is that it? Yeah, I am actually. Yeah, I am. It, it, it very much uh, centers on that. And, and I think it could be, in a way, the most true, if you like, the, the least symbolic book, because mm. it's very clear, actually, to me, what you know, how things are shaping up. I met a very interesting uh, neuroscientist, a neuropsychologist, and had some really good discussions with him and learned some, some amazing things that are happening, uh, discoveries in the brain. And it just, in the course of writing this novel anyway, I came to see that the current battle we have, the current battle with, let's say, the jihadists on the one side and, and the free West, so-called free West on the other, but also the battle between liberals and conservatives and rich and poor, all these things are boiling down to a simple battle for a part of the brain. Mm. Oh. And really, all of these, it's not expressed as such, but okay. the brain responds differently if you're mm. someone who thinks of others oh, right. or okay. thinks just of yourself. Okay. And they actually did some very interesting experiments showing how our language and, and our ideas change the brain and change parts of it to make us one way or another. And as a novelist, I'm wondering, do you have mixed feelings about that? Mixed feelings about, about whether it's good to, to develop a brain which is more individualistic or collective. Mm. Oh, I have yeah, not even mixed feelings. I actually think 
it, it is clearly, it has been for two plus million years a part of our survival that we can work together mm. and that we can establish society. We're a social creature. And the only way that we've been able to achieve anything is by working together, which means sucking some things up, which means mm. not having milk in your tea if there's no milk. And, mm. uh, and we're becoming unable to do that now. Individualism really is making a very, very you know, socially useless people in a way. And it's not to say that, that we can't all be empowered and, and still have you know, our, our individual taste. But I think ironically what's happening is that the, the cult of the individual is actually is making them less of an individual than they ever were, you know. And this goes because back... just yeah. wearing the same tattoos and saying the same words and, and following the same routines but we're less able to compromise with each other and that's that won't help us in future i was wondering because i know you've included memoir in, in in release the bats but it's not entirely are you uncomfortable with writing pure memoir not really not for the reason i think you mean it i'll tell you what happened with release the bats is that a while earlier before i started writing that the publisher approached me for a memoir mm. And I said I couldn't do it because there are some great, great stories and stuff. It will be really, it will be very readable, I guess, because it's bizarre. But too many other people were involved, and I don't feel at liberty. I would feel bad writing the story of someone else as well. So certain of the big, you know, the big adventures have other players in them and those people are still alive and they I don't know if they want these stories told or not uh, my father encouraged me and he used to, he used to read to me every night when I was too little to read myself and the first book was Mrs. Pennyfig on the farm she Mrs. Pennyfig I think was a pig and the one I remember, the one that gave me almost nightmares, but I loved. I had a real thing about the sea, about the ocean, and mm. about being under the, the water in the ocean. And I don't know, I had this real, it was almost like symbolically of, of the, the dark subconscious. But I just had a real, I would shivers thinking about the ocean. And I had this one book, which was from the beautiful American series which I hope still exists, the little golden books, mm. which were basically picture books with a little story. And I'm pretty sure it was Terry the Tugboat. Oh, okay. And there's this one, like a two-page picture when you get inside there, I can still see it perfectly. And it was of, it's of like a harbor or anyway, it's the, it's the sea. And it's green, kind of choppy sea with these different boats on it. And and as a kid, just that, I don't know, the, the incredible, you could, I could really feel the sting of the water and feel the cold and hear these boats. It some, somehow resonated for me. So Terry the Tugboat was a big, big, a big step because I guess the pictures also did it, but they were in a book, so that still counts. 
Yeah, it does. No, that's beautiful how much you see into that. I don't know Terry the Tugboat, so... Well, you should have a look. Well, oh. if he's still there. Yeah. Um, what a great, great book. And I mean, Terry, obviously, Terry has his adventures and, I don't know, has to go up the river. I can't even remember what Terry is up to, to be honest. But he's out, he's at sea and incredibly dangerous and strange. Yeah. So you saw yourself on that boat. Yeah. I got a real thing. I don't know why it was. I got a real, oh, like, don't go there thing. It was, it was spooky to look at. But oh. Very exciting. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.